All right, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me back to Matthew. We, we took a summer off from Matthew, but we're going to turn back there now, and we're going to be in Matthew 24, and we're going to spend a long time in Matthew 24. Uh, I love the Gospel of Matthew. I love all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I, I want to spend most of my ministry just going through these pages of the Gospels so we can walk with Jesus, hear from Jesus, see where Jesus went, hear what Jesus said. Uh, I love the Gospels. I'm glad to be back, and when we turn back to Matthew uh, we're going we're gonna to climb a mountain in Matthew 24. Here in Matthew 24, we find Jesus' teachings on the end of the world. And there's a lot of places in the Bible that we could go and learn about the end of the world. We could go into the Old Testament and study Daniel. That would be fun. We could go to Revelation and, and study that. We've done that on Sunday nights not too long ago. But I really think that the best place that you can go to learn about the end of time is from the mouth of our Savior Himself. This is Jesus' teaching on His own second coming. And it all starts here in Matthew 24. We're just going to look at three verses today. Uh, the questions on the end of the world. That's the title of the sermon today. We're going to look at three verses where he gets asked the questions on the end of the world. And then starting in verse 4, you'll get the answers. He's just going to go through two chapters of answers. And I think this is perfect for the time that we're living in today. This is exactly what we need to hear. I think in God's providence, He has given us what we need to hear as a church. We need to hear about the things that are going to take place at the end of the age. So I think this is interesting. I think this is exciting. I think this is exactly what we need to hear today. We need to hear answers or questions on the end of the world. So let's stand together. I want to read this to you as we look at this passage. We're just going to get a running start at it. Let's start in verse 1. I want to read through verse 14. But we're again, we're just going to study verses 1 through 3. So here we go. We're going to climb the Mount of Olives. We're going to sit down with Jesus. We're going to hear what he has to say. Verse 1. And Jesus went out. And he departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And he said upon the Mount of Olives, and the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? There's your questions on the end of the world. And here he starts his answer. I want to read it to you just to set it before you. And Jesus answered. And he said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. But see that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these things are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. And because iniquity or sin shall abound, the love of many will wax cold. But he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. That's just the beginning of his answer. But today I want to focus our attention on the questions that he gets asked. The questions on the end of the world. So let's pray together and we'll study this passage. Father, we thank you that you have given us this passage that can prepare us for the end and that can comfort us in the end. These words are not just here for information. 
That's good. We can be informed about the end of the age. But they are here for our transformation. That we can be prepared for the days ahead. And I believe that's for us now, today, in this moment, tomorrow. That we would live better lives knowing what's coming up. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. And we need to be prepared. So teach us this today. And teach us this over the months ahead as we study this. Help us to learn from the questions about the end of the world today. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I think if you look around at our world today, if you watch the news, if you pay attention on social media and you listen to people, you can't escape it. I believe that you would come to the conclusion that our world is in utter and complete chaos. That it's being turned upside down, that it's spinning out of control. It looks like everything around us is falling apart. You look around and you see a virus that is completely overtaking. Whether Whatever you think about, it is overtaking our mind, our thoughts, and our entire world. And then you look around and you see that there's political upheaval unlike anything our nation has ever seen. Our nation has never been more divided politically than it is today. There's political upheaval in our nation. You look around and you see sin increasing at a, at a rapid pace unlike the world has ever seen. And it's not just that sin is rapidly increasing, and it is. It's almost like they're creating new sins every single day. They're trying new ways to sin. New and improved ways to sin. It's not just that sin is increasing, it's that people are now applauding sin and saying it's okay and that it's acceptable. Our time is becoming more friendly to the sinful ways than they are the righteous ways. That's the world that we're living in today. And besides that, we're seeing natural disasters. We're hearing about wars and rumors of wars. Everywhere you turn, it's bad news, bad news, bad news. Things are getting darker. Things are getting worse. I would even add that I believe we're living in maybe the darkest days in the history of the world. You say, Josh, you're putting us in a bad mood here this morning. That's, that's not good news. That's bad news. Wait, wait just a second. Right now, in the midst of all this, more than ever, when things seem totally out of control, we need to know what Matthew 24 teaches us. You say, what does it teach us? It teaches us, this is the big picture, that our God is in complete control. That's what it teaches us. That when things seem out of control, it's not out of control. It's completely under control. And when things seem like they're falling to pieces, they're actually falling into place. Things are not out of control. Things are not drifting aimlessly. They're not falling apart. Everything is under control in the world. God has a perfect plan for all of human history. And that goes back in, in the past. That goes into the future. That is right now, God has a perfect plan for all time. God has ordered all the events of all time and things are not moving in a, in a wrong direction. They're moving in a, towards a direction of a perfect, glorious, and great ending that God has planned from the foundation of the world. Amen. That's what this is teaching us. Nowhere is this more clear than Matthew 24. And this is a prophetic portion of the Bible and it shows what the disciples need to hear and what we need to hear that as things get worse and worse and worse, we need to trust that God has it all under control. He's got a plan. So here we are in Matthew 24. Jesus is in his final days. I've got to give you a little background. We've been a few months away from Matthew. So I want to show you this. Matthew 24, it's in his final days. It's his last week and, and maybe even the last day of his life before the crucifixion. This is one of the last things that he will say. 
He's moving closer and closer to the cross. He could be hours away from being crucified, putting on, putting him on, on trial and, and beating him with a, with a whip and, and putting him on a cross to, to die for our sins. He's hours away. And he takes his disciples up into this mountain. And he says, I want to prepare you for what's ahead. I want to show you what to expect. And he goes up into this mountain and he gives the last of five sermons in Matthew. The first being Matthew chapter 5. We looked at that in, in, in great detail years ago. And here we are in Matthew 24 looking at the last of his sermons. And here it's been said he exposits the end times. He explains the end of the age. He reveals the fate of the world. And it is remarkable. And I want to go through it. That's why I took a summer break from it. Because I wanted to deal with it. I wanted to study it. I wanted to know it. I wanted to read it. I want us to be able, when we open it today and we read these verses, that we're going to go verse by verse and we're going to line by line. We're going to understand everything that we can and bring it all out so that we will have a biblical worldview so that we will know what's taking place and what we need to be. This will prepare us for the days ahead. As it prepared the disciples. And I think we'll learn here what Charles Spurgeon said, that there's two great certainties in the world about the future. God knows it and we don't. So let's learn what Jesus has to say here. And I think it will give us confidence that everything is going according to plan. That our future is in His hands. That's good news. We start with bad news. Yeah, everything seems out of control. But let's get to the good news. That we can trust God that He has everything going according to plan. So we're going to look at just just three verses here this morning. Set the stage. Ask the questions before we get to the answers. I said that. Verses 1 through 3 is the questions. And then starting in verse 4 and going all the way to to the end of chapter 25, verse 46 is the answer. Imagine if I did a sermon like that today. Here's the question, point one. Here's the answers for two chapters. We'd need a bagged lunch and dinner. (laughs) So let's look at it. I'm I'm only going to give give you two points this morning. The questions about the end of the world. I want to show you, number one, the impossible prediction. The impossible prediction. And you see that in verse 1. As Jesus, it says in verse 1, Jesus went out and departed from the temple. Uh, he, he's been in the temple. He's been inside. To go out of the temple, you have to be inside the temple. So we, we studied that the last time we were in Matthew, that he was in the temple and he spent all day there. And he'd been with a huge crowd around him. And he'd been teaching. And he had had a blistering sermon on hypocrisy. He, he laid into those Pharisees. He laid into those scribes. He told them exactly where they stood and, and how cold and dead and blackened their, their heart was. And he was in there just laying them out in a blistering sermon. And then it says he walked out. He leaves. It says that he went out and he departed. You say, why is that important? I think that's a defining event. The temple to them was the, the place where God's presence dwelt. Out of all the places in all the world, that's where God was. That's, that's where the, they, they took their sacrifices. That, that's where they all gathered on their, on their, uh, their, their, their days, their, their Passovers, and, and celebrated and, and, and done all the, the religious activity. And, and inside the Holy of Holies there, that's where God met with His people. That place represented God. And now Jesus symbolically walks out and basically says, God has left the building. He walks out and says, you guys have crossed the line. You've come to a place, a point of no return. 
You've denied me and rejected me long enough, and now I will. And he says that earlier on in chapter 23, in verse 38, Behold, your house now is left you desolate. Not God's house. It's not God's house anymore. It is, it is, it is your house and I, I'm leaving it and now it's empty. God's presence will no longer be in this temple. And he walks away. And I can apply that. You've got to be very careful that there's a line that you don't cross with God. I believe we can say that individually, unbelievers, that you can sit and say, God will give me chance after chance after chance after chance, just like he did them. But there's always a place where God says, enough is enough, and I give you no more chances. And we don't know when it is. You better be careful that your, your next time you reject Jesus may be your last time you reject Jesus, and he walks away from you never to turn back again. I believe that's the case for churches where you can just deny the way God wants things done and you can take the scriptures away and start doing other things and making other things more important that Ichabod could be written on your church doors and say no longer is God working here. I don't need to go into a nation that has rejected God and God says okay I'm done with you. We need to be very careful. We know God is merciful and God is kind and God is gracious and He's always open-armed and ready to receive those who repent and turn to Him. But we need, to, we need to also see that there's a point when God walks away. So Jesus walks out. Jesus leaves the building. And look what they say. And Jesus went out and He departed from the temple never to go back again. And his disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. As they're walking out, the disciples come and you say, why, why are they doing this? It's like they tap Jesus on the shoulder and, and as he's walking out and he said, your, your house is left under you desolate and, I, and I'm leaving. And, and he's turned his back on the temple and he's walking away. And his disciples come running up to him and say, hey, Jesus, look at it. Look at this temple. Don't you see? Mark 13, 1 says, it's a parallel passage says, Master, See what manner of stones and, and what buildings are here. Luke 21 says, And as some spake of the temple, how it was arraigned or, or adorned with godly stones and goodly stones and gifts. So they're looking at him and say, Look how beautiful this temple is, Jesus. Look, look how great it is. Look how, how busy it is. Don't you see the, the temple? It's the greatest place in the world. How can you leave that? And it was great. They're looking at him saying, show, show him the buildings of the temple. Do you see that in verse 1? And I thought about it last night. I said, how can I show them? Because that's what they were doing. They're saying, hey, Jesus, look at this. This temple is amazing. How can you leave it? Tapping him on the shoulder. And I thought, you guys can't see it. They're showing him. So I want, I want you to see that it was a great building. The temple was one of the wonders of the world at that time. Get this. It was... Herod had spent 46 years building it at this point. And, and in total, he'd spent 85 years building it. This was an, an amazing place. The stones that they used to build it were 100 tons each. You're talking 200,000 pounds. The size of a, of a boxcar or the size of the, the, what, what, a, what a truck would carry around. I mean, these stones were, were massive that they, they used to build it. And, and the, the columns that they had, they said it would take three to four men holding each other's arms to reach all the way around all the columns of the temple. It was arrayed in white with gold inside the stones and jewels placed all over. They said it was so beautiful and, and had so much gold and jewels that when you looked at it in the sun, you had to hide your eyes. 
That's what this building was. It looked like a massive building of gold. Now get this. I looked this up last night. The size of it was 36 acres. Let me compare it. Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. is 16 acres. The White House is 18 acres. The Pentagon is 28 acres. And this temple is 36 acres. It would hold at least 100,000 people at once. It had 32 caves underneath with wells and, and places for them to hide all the... All, I mean, they had riches beyond your imagination underneath there. It's been said that it lacked nothing that could astonish either the soul or the eyes. It is the greatest building in the world. And these fishermen are now looking at Jesus and saying, how could you leave this place? It's an amazing building. They love this place. The greatest place on earth to them. And they're saying, why don't you rethink this? Give them another chance. This would be a great place for you to set up your kingdom and for us to rule and reign with you. So the disciples were focusing on, on the past and on, on a building. But Jesus now says, let's look to the future. Now watch what he says. I, I just wanted you to stick with me. because Look what he says in verse 2. When they show him the temple, he looks at them and says, you see the temple. I think this is funny that they're, they, they, they're going back and forth here. The disciples are saying, look at the temple. And Jesus says, no, you look at the temple. The disciples are saying, look how beautiful the temple is now. And Jesus is saying, let's look into the, into the future and see what the temple's going to be. So Jesus looks with divine eyes and, and supernatural vision. And he says, let's look at what it will be, not what it is now. And what does he say? He points at it. And he says, and here's the prediction. Here's the process. It's an impossible prediction. Here it is. He says, do you not see these things? Do you not see these stones? Do you not see the gold and, and the jewels and, and the size and how big and how wonderful and how beautiful and how, how busy it is? But verily I say unto you, I assure you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not come crashing down. This is a big statement. He says the whole place is coming down. This place is bigger than the Pentagon. It's coming down. And he uses a double negative there and he says not one single stone will be left. It's all going to crash. In an act of divine judgment by God, Jesus isn't just leaving the building, he's going to level the building. There will be complete and utter destruction of this temple. That's what he says. This is the prophecy. This is, this is the prediction. And I know you're sitting there saying, well, why do we care? I'm going to tell you in just a second. Because to them, to the disciples, they hear that and they say, there's no way in the world that building's ever coming down. It's the greatest thing we've ever seen. It is the indestructible building. It is the Titanic of buildings. You see? There's no way. They said that as they, and, and I have a fascination with the Titanic that you guys should make fun of me for. I drive by that Titanic thing in, 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 in Sevierville and I'm, I'm driving by and I'm, I'm licking my lips. We've got to go there again. $20 a ticket, I've seen it all. Let's go again. It's the indestructible ship. They said God himself couldn't sink this ship. Or we could say this building was the Twin Towers. 
that nothing could ever bring them down. And that's what they're saying. This is a dramatic prophecy. You're telling me that this building that is an amazing, indestructible building is going to come crashing down? There's no way. This is an impossible prediction. Never going to happen. And to us here today, I'll say this. If it didn't happen, here we are 2,000 years later. If that building didn't come crashing down, then we can't trust anything else he says in this entire chapter. If that building didn't come down, he's a false prophet. If that building did not come down, let's stop reading Matthew 24, let's shut our Bibles, and let's go home. But if it did, we can trust every word he says from here on out. And you say, did it? I'm not shutting my Bible. The Titanic sunk, did it not? The building came crashing down. Forty years later, the Romans attacked the Jews who were inside the building. And they were told by Herod, that do, do not bring it down. Just go and get them and, and we don't want to tear the building down. I mean, it was his building. It was a, a marvelous building. A sight to see. So they said, just go in there. Do not bring it down. It's almost like that they're saying, like Johnny was talking about this morning, don't do it. Keep it standing. So what they did was they took a torch and they threw it into the Holy of Holies. Into the main room. And it caught fire. And they couldn't put it out. And in 70 A.D., the entire building came crashing down. Not one stone left upon another. To the point where the stones started melting and gold was coming out of them. And they, they, they were cracking open stones trying to get jewels and trying to get gold out of it. And they ransacked the place. And it was unlike anything they'd ever seen. The building came crashing down in an act of divine judgment by God upon their system. Exactly, absolutely, accurately, as Jesus had said. No more temple, no more sacrifices. Even to this day, the only thing left of the temple is that wailing wall and a few stones where they go put in prayers. Gone. This shows us, and I'll apply it, Jesus knows the future. He knows a few days away or a few hours away when he'll die. He's been saying it for, for his whole trek all the way to Matthew 24. He's been saying the Son of Man goes to, to be crucified. The Son of Man goes to die. Uh, they'll kill this body and I'll raise it again in three days. He knows a few hours into the future. He knows a few days into the future. He knows 40 years into the future. And get this, the rest of Matthew 24 and 25, he knows all the way to the end. Jesus knows the future. And it's not because He looked into the future and learned it or saw it. It's because He planned the future. It's because He controls the future. It's because He has exhaustive knowledge of the future. God knows things in ways that only God can know them. We know things piece by piece and moment by moment and day by day. God steps back and He sees it all at once in ways that only God can know it. We learn. We get new information. God doesn't. There's never a time when God looks down and says, Hmm, didn't see that coming. 
And I'm going to apply this. There's not anything in your personal life that God looks down and says, hmm, didn't see that coming. He had that planned. There's not a time in our church where God says, hmm, didn't see that coming on the church. I might have to change some things and and work plan B. No, He says that it is my church and I'll build it and the gates of hell will never prevail against it. There's never a time in America where He looks down and says, hmm, didn't see COVID happening. Didn't see Biden happening or Trump happening or whoever you want to throw in there. He has it all planned. He sees it all, knows it all. He, He has all of it with exhaustive detail. So that's good news. And you know what that means? I can trust Jesus. If I can trust Him to do this in 40 years, I can trust Him with the rest of Matthew 24. If He's got that in His hands, He's got the rest of it in His hands too. I'll give you another one. He knows the future. He can be trusted. And He is God in flesh. Nobody else is predicting these things. Nobody else is getting this right. Nobody else said the temple's coming down in, in 40 years. Nobody else has knows the end from the beginning. Nobody but Jesus knows this. He is the Son of God. Watch this. I want to read you a passage and I'll move on. Isaiah 46. There's a battle going on between false gods, real gods. False gods, real gods. And he says, here is the defining way you can know who's the real God. You ready for it? Here we go. Listen to this. I get excited. I've been studying Matthew 24 for three months. <laughs> you guys better buckle up. <laughs> he says, Remember the former things of old. For I am God, and there's none else. I am God, and there's none like me. I like that. Not even close. And then he says, How do, how do you know? I declare the end from the beginning. In the ancient times, the things that are not yet done... I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. And I will also do it. It's like all those other little false gods said, you win. We can't do that. We can't predict the future. We can't prophesy. We can't declare the end from the beginning. We can't purpose it. We can't declare it. We can't decree it. We, We can't do none of those things. We bow down to the one true and living God who has all time in His hands. Isaiah 46 says God does that. Matthew 24 says Jesus does that. Jesus is God. I don't see anybody else writing down chapters like these. Preaching sermons like these. Accurate. Specific. Exact. We can trust him in the near. We can trust him in the far. He's got all things in his hands. So there's the impossible prediction. That no man would know that. But he did. Number two. This leads to, or this raises, some important questions. Because they hear that and they start to say, hmm, let's, let's ask him some questions. Let's, let's see what's going on here. And so they, they look at him in verse three. Let, let, let's look at it. It says, and, and so Jesus said that, see ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And in verse 3 it says, and as he sat upon the Mount of Olives. So he sits down, but before he sat down he had to take a walk. From the temple where he walked out of to the Mount of Olives is about a two mile walk. 
So he walks up to the Mount of Olives. He sits down with his disciples privately. He has no more of a public crowd. It's just a handful of, of his disciples with him. And, he, and I, I, I googled this too. You can sit down upon the Mount of Olives and you can look out over the city and it is a panoramic view of Jerusalem and of the temple unlike any other place in the city. It's like you get your phone and you have the, the panorama picture. It never works for me. You can start here and just work all the way around. Mine always ends up all over the place and somebody's head's missing. But that's what this is. It's a panoramic view. He's sitting up on the Mount of Olives and you can see it all. And the sun is just starting to set. And it's a beautiful scenery that he has here as now he's looking down upon. He's up higher than the Temple Mount. And he's seeing this bigger and larger than life building that's bigger than the Pentagon and the city that is surrounding it. And he's looking down as the sun is gleaming off of the gold of the Temple. And he's looking down at it as he's teaching here. This is a very strategic place. This is where he will ascend in Acts chapter 1. His feet will be on the Mount of Olives and he will ascend up into heaven from this mount. This is where, and this is, this is, this is you need to know this, this is where his feet will return. Zechariah says in chapter 14. And Revelation says he, he'll pretty much split that mountain wide open when he returns. He's coming back to the Mount of Olives. Some of y'all are Googling it now because it's so awesome. There now on the Mount of Olives is the biggest Jewish cemetery in the world. 150,000 Jews are buried there. And this is where he sits down, it says, to teach the rest of these two chapters. So as he sat down upon the Mount of Olives, and, and, and he sits down as a teacher would then, and the disciples came to him privately. Just the disciples. Mark 13 says there was only four that come to him and ask him this question. It's like the twelve gathered together and they're saying, he's talking about the end of time. He's talking about the temple going to go down. Let's ask him some questions. Who wants to go? Peter says, I'll go. Matthew thir- or Mark 13 says Peter, James, John, and Andrew went. And they walk up to him and they have two or three questions. You see that there. The disciples came to him privately saying, tell us. Let's stop there. They're curious about the future. Just like we are. I think everybody in here, and I understand that that I put as the title of the sermon, Questions on the End of the World, and I'm pretty sure everybody, just for a second, is going to click on it on Facebook and they're going to say, ooh, what's he going to say about the future? Ooh, I want to know. Ooh, I want to know. Ooh, I want to know. And you're sitting there on the edge of your seats here today and you're saying the same thing. Ooh, I want to know. Ooh, I want to know. There's a curiosity in every single one of us about what's going to take place in the future. That there's a reason... Fortune tellers exist. They don't know, but they have a job. Why do they have a job? Because somebody's sitting out there saying, I need to know what's going to happen tomorrow. There's a reason horoscopes are still in newspapers. I'm Sagittarius. I need to know what my day is going to bring. I don't need to know what my day is going to bring. I need to know that my day is in God's hands. There's a reason that end-time guru preachers have a channel on TV. Turn that junk off. Because every one of us has questions about the future. This is interesting stuff. We all want to hear it. So they walk up to him and they say, look at this. They say, tell us. This is curiosity. And I'm glad they asked these two questions. These two questions covers everything that we need to know. 
In two questions, they, they get it all. And, and, and they ask, watch this, and we, we need to get this. I'm going to spend just a, a few minutes on this. They ask the question everybody wants to know. Look at this, number one. When shall these things be? When is always the question. When is the question that I get asked more than anything else. I was at a funeral the other day, at, at Debbie's funeral, and I'm sitting outside and, and people are walking up to me saying, do you think it's going to happen soon? You see everything's going on? Do you think it's going to happen soon? When? That's, that's the question, when? I, I get texts on, on my phone. When? Do you think it's going to happen now? Do you think COVID is? Do you think the shot is? Do you think this is? Do you think we're days away? Things going to happen in my lifetime? Part of it is, is curiosity. Part of it is people that are scared to death and they probably should be. When? That's, that's the question. When? When is these things going to take place? And I, I think that when they say when, these things are going back to the temple. When's it coming down? They put these things together and they're saying, if the temple's coming down, and it is, that must mean it's the end of the world. It's <laughs> the worst thing that could ever happen. So when is this going to happen? And you know the one that Jesus doesn't answer? When? You can turn to verse 36. It's the same passage. And it says, But of that day and that hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. He doesn't answer that question of when. And the next question. See, they thought it'd be soon. They thought it'd be any day. Jesus died and they thought, oh no, it didn't happen. Then he was risen again and he came back and he's, getting, he's ascending into heaven. And they're saying, hey, 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 when's it going to happen? Still asking the same question. So they go to the next question. Question number two. And I said we've got questions about the end of the world. Here's what they say. He says, tell us when shall these things be? And again, I think these things, and I would draw an arrow from these things back up to the temple being destroyed. Because they're thinking if the temple's going to be destroyed, that's when everything ends. Question two. And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? How will we, how will we know when it gets close? Give us signs. We were driving to the beach last Saturday, and I've got five kids and every one of them wanted to know how much further it's going to be. Hallie, 10 months old, the only one who never asked. <laughs> Driving down the road. I mean, we're, we're, I mean we, we got from my house to Kingsport. And one of the boys won't name him. He's, he's, it's Christian. Uh, <laughs> made it to Kingsport. He said, how much longer, Dad? Five minutes later, how much longer, Dad? It was over and over and over. And then they're, they're asking, and, and I say, okay, when you see this, right? When you see this, you'll know we're close. When you start rolling your window down and you're smelling the beach air, sticking your head out the window, you'll know we're close. When you start seeing mountains, you'll know we're close. When you start seeing billboards for boats, You'll know we're close. When you see a sign that says, Beach this way, you'll know we're close. And I'm thinking, you know, I've been studying this, so I'm using, I'm thinking, this is going to be good for the sermon, you know. 
I got a bunch of curious kids in the back wanting to know what's the signs of the beach. And I'm saying, well, you see this, it'll, it'll mean we're close. You see this, it'll mean we're close. So they say, when will we see a sign? Show us the signs that we know it's getting there. And we're getting to that point to what? Watch this. To what? Watch. First it says a sign, and that's what that is. Think sign. Think, think Myrtle Beach, 60 miles. That's what a sign is. It's coming. It's here. It's almost there. And I think you'll spend the rest of this sermon giving us signs. What's this? It's, I mean, you, you can go down there and see that. For many shall come in my name, saying I'm the Christ. There's a sign. Wars and rumors of wars, there's a sign. It just keeps on giving us closer and closer and closer. And then it says in verse 15, when you shall see the abomination of desolation, there you go. That's a big one. That's five miles to the beach. So then they ask the next question. Or they ask, okay, give us a sign of what? I'm asking for a sign, my kids are asking for a sign of the, the beach. How much longer till we get to, to the beach? And this whole, this whole passage, 24 and 25, our understanding of it comes from what they're asking for. Because there's two different views on what they're asking for. Let, let, let's, let you guys come to a conclusion with me. Let, let's look at it. What's the sign of your coming? That word there is used in, in, in the New Testament, even in, in Matthew 24, as the full arrival as king over your kingdom. When are you going to be ruling the world? You see it there in Matthew 24, verse 30. Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He shall send His angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather the, together the elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now let me ask you a question. Has that happened yet? And the answer, if you're paying attention, is not that I know of. That the Son of Man has come a second time and He's gathered all His people together? I don't think that's happened yet. Because there's a lot of people, and I don't want to get, spend a, a lot of time on it, but there's a lot of preachers and a lot of churches that would teach that all of Matthew 24 and 25 already happened. But they're not asking for, they're asking for the coming when He's going to come again. That's not happened yet. Amen. They're asking for the end. Now watch this, let's look at the second one. That's the second coming. When will you come a, a, a second time? And he says it again in verse 39. And knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So they're asking for the second coming. And second, they're asking for the end of the world. You see that with me? It says not only when shall these things be, what shall be the sign of your coming? Second coming. When Jesus returns to take over the world. That's what it's talking about. And then second, and a sign of the end of the world. You would think that would just be obvious and we wouldn't have to go into any detail at all about that. But some people say it's not the end of the world, it's the end of the Jewish age. And it all happened in 70 AD when the temple fell. And none of this applies to anything that's going to happen in the future. But I don't think end of the world means... A few years from now. You say, prove it. I don't have to. You guys believe me. But I, I, 
I want to prove it. Look with me at Matthew 13. I'm teaching here. Hope you guys are okay with it. Matthew 13. I'm just going to read this parable starting in verse 36. It says, Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went to the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. And he answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. And the field is the world. The good seed of the children of the kingdom, but the tares of the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. And the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it shall be in the end of the world. The Son of Man shall send forth His angels, and they shall gather out of His kingdom things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into the furnace of the fire, and they'll be wailing and, and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth in the Son and the kingdom of their Father. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. That's the judgment at the end of the world. That's not 40 years from now. That's the end of the world. When God separates the saved from the unsaved and sends the unsaved to, to hell and the saved go to heaven. That's not happened yet. That's at the end of the world. And I, I can take you to another one. Uh, don't, uh, go back to, to we're, we're in Matthew. Let's go to Matthew 28. You, you guys want to, just, just, just one more proof. And you're going to say, wow, Josh, you're exactly right. And I'm going to say, yes, I know. <laughs> Matthew 28. You tell me what this means. You tell me. Matthew 28 says, And then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee. This is Jesus ascending into heaven, giving the, the final great commission. The Galilee into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. What mountain's that? And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. So you guys, I'm leaving, you go. <laughs> I like that. I'm leaving, you go. So that's what he tells us to do. And he says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the, the Jewish age. That's not what it says, is it? He will be with us all the way to the end of the world. Amen. So these questions, and I, I, know, I know you guys are maybe, maybe don't care these questions are about the end of the world. So Jesus is going to tell us about the end of the world. He's going to tell us about His second coming. I think it's clear. This is the end time message about Jesus' second coming. So now, Jesus is going to answer it. Starting in verse 4, and all the way through two chapters, is all Jesus' answer of those two questions. Really only one. Jesus has a lot here to say about his second coming and about the end of the world. And, and here's what we'll learn. I, I want you to get this because I'm not going to get into it today. I, I said that we'd have to have a bag lunch and a bag dinner and maybe even a bag breakfast for me to go through all this And once. I've read it probably 20 times in the past month. But I, I want you to see this. this is, he, he's going to give us detailed information here. But I think this is all for more than information. It's not just to inform us. This is here to transform us. This is not a, a Rubik's Cube. And we have one in our house. And, it, it, and, and I, I've, I've done it one time. I, I watched a guy do it on YouTube and I followed him. That's how you do it. It's a little cheating, but it's okay. I didn't tell my kids till just now. I forgot they were in here. 
But I think that's how a lot of people treat Matthew 24 and 25. They take it as a Rubik's Cube and you've got to get all the, all the colors just right and you're moving everything around and you're putting everything in order and you're, you're saying it's here and it's, it's there and it's all these things and, and, and they're trying to, to fix this and they're trying to satisfy everybody's curiosity and, and know exactly how everything lines up. But I don't think prophecy is meant to just inform us. It does. I think prophecy is meant to transform us. That as we read this, Jesus is teaching us something. You say, what's he teaching us? I'm going to give you three things he's teaching us and I'll close. He's teaching us that he knows the future perfectly. That's a big one. I want you to see the intricate detail of what he says. I I don't have time to get into it. But look what he says in verse 4. He says, take heed. Don't let anybody deceive you. There's going to be people coming. That's going to say, I'm the Christ. And you don't listen to those guys. And then he goes on to say, in verse 6, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars, and there's going to be nation rising against nation. And and it's just intricate detail. This is not general. This is exact. This is exhaustive knowledge. It's not like some of these so-called prophets out there. that They'll they'll step back and they'll give you a general prophecy. Bad things are going to happen. They can't be wrong. This is Jesus nailing it down. Here is an outline of what's going to happen. And he gives us this. This is the most detailed answer that he ever gives. Lawlessness will abound. Religious imposters. Nations at war. Earthquakes. Famines. On and on and on. Detailed answer. And he does this so that we'll understand that no matter how bad it gets, he's in complete control. That no matter how dark it gets, and it will get worse, and it will get dark, and it will get bad, and it will get crazy. You need to understand that. I don't think we're returning to anything normal anytime. It's only going to get worse. Some of y'all are saying, why are you telling us that? He said it's going to get worse. And as it does, we need to be comforted. We need to calm down. We need to understand it's going to be okay. We have confidence. We have certainty. Verse 6 says, be not troubled. What he's saying there is that as it gets worse, the understanding that he knows the future perfectly helps me sleep at night. That I don't have to know the future perfectly. That I don't have to control it. That it doesn't have to be in my hands. That that it's not all on me. That everything is working out precisely and exactly as he has it planned. Lay your head on your pillow tonight with that on your mind. That no matter what happens tomorrow, I know the one who holds tomorrow. I can turn off the news. I don't need to hear what they got to say. I need to hear what he has to say. You would think, this is me preaching a little bit, that they'd be more people wanting to hear this than hearing some dude on Fox News or CNN. We don't need to read the newspaper. We don't need to hear the headlines. We need to know what Jesus has to say. He's got the future in his hands. I listen to some dude on TV, and it gets me shaking in my boots. I was going to say Crocs, but I don't wear Crocs. (laughs) Right? Isn't that what happens to all of us? Watch the news, and that's what they want to do. Scared to death, you know? And there are scary things out there. I'm not denying that. That's why I turn it off. Turn it on football, you know. Turn it on something else. Give me Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. Something. I, I can't bear it anymore. Turn it off. That scares me. 
Open up your Bible and go to church and hear about this. And it doesn't scare me, it comforts me. I have certainty, I have confidence. Everything's in his hands and going exactly to plan. We need to hear from him more than we need to hear from anybody else. I don't need, I, don't, don't get mad at me. But I, I started hiding people on Facebook that was giving me scare tactics all the time. Might be some of you. <laughs> You'll never know. <laughs> I don't want to hear that stuff. You can watch it. You can hear it. Whatever you want to do. But it's just there to scare you. Think things out of control. Think things falling apart. No, 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 no. I'm turning to the word of God. And I'm hearing that everything's in his hands. So that's the first thing we're going to learn. There's not one surprise that's ever happened to him. He knows the future perfectly. Second, <laughs> Jesus is coming again. I think all Christians can agree. We don't have all of our Rubik's Cube of our timetable figured out. But there's one thing that, that all true Christians will stand on is that Jesus is coming again. And that's clear. Nobody denies that. There's no faithful Bible teacher that would ever set a date or even guess when it's going to happen. Mark anybody like that and avoid them like the plague, like COVID. <laughs> Any, anybody that predicts or guesses the end of time when Jesus is as clear as it gets, nobody knows. You find somebody like that, keep six feet distance from them. False prophets. But I will say this, we've never been closer to him returning. Right? We're closer now than we've ever been. Church has been looking for the return of Christ throughout the ages. The disciples thought he was going to go up and come right back down. And he said, why stand you there gazing? <laughs> I told you to go. You see that? He's going to come again. And the lesson for us is, you better be ready for it. And you better be faithful in living the Christian life while you can. i, I got some verses for you. Look at verse 4. Jesus answered and said to him, Take heed. You see that? Be ready. That, 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 that's be ready. I, I got you another one. Verse 42. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour the Lord doth come. Verse 44. He says, Therefore be ye also ready. For in such hours you think not the Son of Man, He's going to come. I, I can go on. Verse 45. Who then is a faithful and wise servant? Verse 46, same thing. Blessed is a servant who the Lord, when He comes, shall find Him working and serving. And, and we, we don't just sit there and look and wait and, and sit there and say, oh, He's coming, oh, He's coming. We do keep at one eye towards the heavens. Jesus is coming back. But we also got to be busy being faithful to Him while we're living here now. And this whole sermon here that Jesus is preaching should get us busy and working and ready and serving for He's coming back. I don't think we get that enough. I, I, I think we need to live in a state of readiness. I, I think we ought to be motivated. I think we ought to be alert, awake, and I think we ought to be active. I think we ought to be doing more now than we've ever done before. It's getting closer and closer. Why are we playing games when Jesus is coming back? Amen. Why are churches entertaining? They're, they're, they're just entertaining people and working people up. Why aren't we preparing people that Jesus is coming back? We spent, I don't get it. I just don't get it. I, I watch everybody saying, the end is coming. You got COVID, you got politics, you got all, all this stuff going on, but churches are empty. 
Churches are empty? If you really thought Jesus was coming back and this was getting closer and closer, we wouldn't be living like we do. Stadiums are full for games. Churches are empty and Jesus is coming back. Everybody agrees it's soon. The rapture could take place at any time. You could see Jesus face to face. And we play games. I don't want to be harsh or mean. But I don't think we live like he could come back at any time. That's the whole point. I read six verses to you. One, two, three, four, five, six. Where he said, in this sermon, you've got to be ready for this. You've got to be ready for this. Take heed. Be ready. Be on guard. Watch. And we play games. We're living on borrowed time. We're wasting our time on silliness. I don't know why preachers want to sit there and just... I know I get hammered for preaching like I do. But now's the time to prepare people for eternity. Now's not the time to play around. Preachers playing around. Churches playing around. Jesus is coming back. What are we doing? I think it's time that we start sharing the gospel. You've got friends. He could come back. If you really believed he'd come back, you'd share the gospel. If you really believed he's coming back, you'd be teaching your kids. If you believed he's coming back, this would be the place to be. I need to learn. I need to grow. I need to know. I need, I need, I need. Like Hebrews says, and even more so as the day approaches. What day? The coming of Jesus. Amen. Serve the church. We don't want to be Matthew 25. I mean, I don't want to keep, I've read it so many times. But he's got three parables for us here. And he talks about the, the wicked and the slothful and the sleepy and the unprepared. We want to make our life count. I mean, what else matters if he's coming back? All this is falling into place and we go along like it's no big deal. Almost like he says Noah, where everybody just went along like nothing was ever going to happen. And Noah was standing up preaching like a maniac. And was called probably called a fool. Like somebody else I know. And people just went on with their lives. Eating and drinking and being merry. Until those rains came. And floods came up. And they all come scratching and knocking on that boat. Knowing the future ought to change how we live in the present. And if it doesn't, if knowing the future events doesn't change our present and right now, then us studying Matthew 24 and 25 is a waste of our time. If we get to the end of this and you've got the Rubik's Cube and all the colors in place, and you hold it up and say, my end times understanding is better than anybody else's. But you're still fooling around with silliness and games. We've wasted our time. Jesus is coming back. Nobody here denies that. And when he comes back, number three, he's going to judge unbelievers. That's scary. Matthew 25, turn there with me just for a second. He gives three parables. You said, Josh, you said you won't give us the answer, and here you are. I just want to give you this. Verses 10 and 12. 10 to 12, he says, Matthew 25. 
And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. You, you, I mean, you guys know the story. These, these, these virgins wasn't ready when the bridegroom came. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. They wasted their time on silliness. And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. And afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I, I, I don't know you. Watch therefore, if you know neither the day or the hour where the Son of Man comes. That's the first one. That's the unprepared that didn't know that he shut the door on and said, I ain't letting you in. That's scary. And if you're sitting here today and that's you, you'd be, you'd be shaking in your shoes. He could come back at any time. The rapture could take place. You'd be left out. I'll give you another one. Verse 30. Same passage. This time it's the unprofitable people who didn't serve while they had the chance. The unprofitable servant. That had everything that they could have ever wanted. And they just took it and buried it in the ground and didn't do nothing with it. And he looked at them in verse 30 and he said... Verse 29, for unto, you, unto everyone that, that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away, even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into, into outer darkness. And there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's scary. You, you had the unprepared, and then you had the unprofitable. And they, they're judged and go to hell. I'll give you one more. Verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory. And before Him shall be gathered all the nations. And He shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth His sheep from the goats. And He shall set the sheep on His right hand, but the goats on His left. And it says in verse 34, The saved, then shall the king say unto them on His right hand, that's the saved, that's the believers, who's put their faith in Christ. Come ye, blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That's good news. For those who prepared. But then he says in verse 41, Then shall he also say also unto them in the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And in verse 46, he closes the entire sermon with these, And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous unto eternal life. He's coming back to judge whether you like it or not. Judgment's coming on the unbelievers. Judgment's coming on the world. Judgment's coming. Everybody's, everybody living in the world right now that's unbelievers think they can, they're getting away with it. Right? Well, you, you see it? They, they think they can live however they want and do whatever they want to do and they're just getting away with it and, and God's never going to do anything to them. But I'm here to tell you, He's coming back. And when He comes back, He's going to judge the wicked. Judgment's coming. So my question to you today is, are you ready for it? The old hymn says, when the bridegroom comes, Will your robes be white, pure and white in the blood of the Lamb? Will your soul be ready for His presence bright? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? That's the question. I didn't want to just give you information. I want, to, if there's unbelievers here today, that they be prepared for what's coming. And what's coming, Jesus is. Do you know Christ? Is your faith in Him? You need to understand that unless you repent and put your faith in Christ, judgment's coming to you. And you will perish just like those people who refuse to get on a boat with Noah and his family. 
Don't you be the ones who are on the outside scratching on the walls of the ark and and Noah saying, it's too late. You waited too long. It's too late. There could be people in here today who if Jesus comes again today, rapture takes place today, you'd be left. Somebody in here, in this room, you're not sure. I sat down with somebody the other day, and I'll close with this. I think I'm going too long. Three verses. Get ready for the rest of it. I sat down with somebody the other day at a funeral, and I said, if you died right now, where would you go? I ain't got no more time to waste. I'm not going to beat around the bush with you. You go to a funeral and you're facing death face to face. Sitting across from me, I said, if you'd die right now and you're the one in there, where would you go? And this young man looked at me and he said, I know exactly where I'd go. And it's not heaven. And I said, I know the way to fix that. I know who can fix that. He said, tell me. I said, do you believe there's a God? He said, I do. I said, do you believe God gave commands? He said, I do. I said, have you broke even one of those commands? He said, haven't we all? I said, no, 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 not not we all. Have you? It needs to get personal. Not for all have sinned, but I have sinned. Me, personally. I've offended God. I've broken God's commands. He said, I have. I said, then you deserve hell. You deserve punishment. The payment for sin is death. He said, I know that. I said, the only way out is for someone who lived a perfect life and never done a thing wrong in his entire existence for 33 years to go to a cross and to die in your place. And Jesus did that. And if your faith is in Him, you'll go to heaven. Do you believe that? And he said, I do. I said, put your faith in Him. He said, what about church? So we'll talk about church later. That doesn't save you. Baptism doesn't save you. Nothing saves you but Jesus Christ. Put your faith in Him and He'll save you today where you sit and you can go to heaven when you die. And we prayed. And I look at you today and I stood up in the funeral and preached the same thing. And I'm preaching the same thing to you today. I ain't got time to fool around if there's somebody in here who has any doubt whatsoever that if they died, they, they would, well, don't know if it's heaven or hell. Today's the day. It's not about church. It's not about baptism. Those are great things. It's not about being good. It's not about being better. It's not about turning over a new leaf. It's not about living a better life. It's about putting your faith in Jesus Christ. That I'm, I'm, I'm banking my whole life in eternity on who Jesus is and what Jesus did for me. It has nothing to do with me and everything to do with Him. And if you do that, you'll be prepared for the days ahead. But if you don't, and I'm going to close here, if you don't, the days ahead will get dark and dark and dark for you. It'll be bad for you. I want to prepare you for the days ahead. So please, if you would, lay aside the garments that are stained with sin and be washed in the blood of the Lamb. There's a fountain flowing for the soul unclean. Oh, be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Oh, be saved today before it's everlasting too late. Let's pray. Father.
Thank you for your word. I believe entirely and completely in the power of your word. I believe it is sufficient to accomplish exactly what you set it out to do. And I pray that you would, here today, use these three verses to prepare our hearts for what's ahead. For Christians, that we would be active and we would be awake and we'd be alert. We'd be serving, be ready. That this passage would stir in our hearts a motivation to live differently in the light of your coming. And for unbelievers here, and I'm, I'm, I can imagine that somewhere in this room there's somebody who's an unbeliever. And God, I pray that you would please, by the power of your spirit, through the preaching of your word, change their hearts and prepare them, whether it be for death or for, for the coming of Christ. Oh, oh, be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Oh, there's a fountain flowing for the soul unclean. Oh, there's now, today, arms wide open to receive. May today be the day that someone sitting in their pews receives Christ for the first time. Please. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.